This is Into Words with Shola, the podcast, and I'm your host, Shola. Hi guys, welcome to episode three of my podcast. Um, It's been really hard to come to this microphone and record another podcast episode because I've been reflecting on what has been happening in Nigeria and what has happened in the past week um, in regards to the NSARS protests. Um, and I've been reflecting on what went down at Lekki, and it's been really weighing heavy on my heart. And I've just been thinking, we, we need leaders that are genuinely there to lead people and are committed to serving the people that they are, that have been put in their care, you know? Because that really changes what a country becomes and what happens in the country. And that really, and that really influences the decisions that people in authority make if they genuinely care for the people that have been put in their care. And we need people, we need leaders that are willing to serve people, no matter what it will take, no matter what it will cost, not leaders that are, that just want to be comfortable and simply don't care. And I've just been really thinking about that. So I wanted this space to be a place where I could acknowledge that that has been really weighing heavy on my heart. And um, with what happened at Lekki, I've been really sad about how things played out. And I guess like other people still, I'm hoping for a better Nigeria. And I'm hoping for leaders that would care for their people. Um, and so this is just a space where I'm acknowledging that. And I'm allowing for those emotions to sit here. Because they need to, you know. So some weeks ago, I was on a call with my sisters and we were reminiscing about home. You know, we're talking about some of the experiences we had and uh they just range the things we're talking about just range from the parties we went to the kind of food we ate the schools we went to and the experiences we had in those schools and dancing and singing which was something that lived like i think at every stage of our childhood we had this musical group and we would often perform for people and dance for people and they knew that we would do that which was a highlight for me but i remember we're talking about all these things and i just felt a rush of emotions just this rush of emotion just well up on the inside of me and that told me something shola you miss home and i'm saying that because i I, i've been so used to being away from home that i haven't actually missed it per se but as i've grown older and just i think as i've been in quarantine and just being in this place of solitude i guess i have been confronting the fact that I'm missing home more and more. And I think I've gotten to that stage where I'm openly acknowledging it, that I miss home, you know? And so I named this podcast Rejection of Self because that's one thing that stood out from um, the conversation that my sisters and I were having. Growing up, it wasn't necessarily cool to be Nigerian. Everybody wanted to be quite Western. And I guess if you're Nigerian or if you're even from any other African country, you might get what I'm saying. You will get what I'm saying, actually. In fact, I remember that no one liked to buy made-in-Nigeria products because 
there was just this unsaid rule, this unsaid thing that was in society that it will never be good. Like it probably wasn't good. It won't work. It will never be good. It will never serve you well. And I I was thinking about this and I was asking myself why. And as my sisters and I were talking, we're kind of like, wonder why that was. Like, (laughs) was... What was the, what made us think that, you know? And why why did we grow up with that perception of, um, I guess, our society and our environment? You know, it's funny because, for example, going natural, like leaving your Afro out, wasn't really a thing as well until the year after I left, which was 2016. And leading up to that year, a lot of women started going natural. It was like there was this awareness all of a sudden that relaxing your hair was damaging even though we actually knew that it was damaging and we had seen the effects you know prior to that year in fact for many years we had seen the effects but like it only became a thing really in 2016 that's when i I saw a massive shift for from a lot of women taking action to stop putting chemicals in their hair to make it straight and i asked myself again why like why why was why did that ever exist, you know? And more and more, I've seen Nigerians, we've grabbed that power back. I can name two industries, the fashion industry and the music industry, you know? Now, Nigerian designers, well, for quite a few years now, Nigerian designers are being, being more open and more explicit about the Nigerianness of their brands. And the music industry is also booming. And I can see Nigerian musicians and Nigerian designers crossing borders and crossing these boundaries. A lot of people now want to reckon with this, what what what, Niger, what being Nigerian is. I can see a lot of people like wanting to associate themselves with the art, the culture, the music, just everything, the food. And I think that's great. I think that that's definitely a step in the right direction compared to what my perception of my environment was when I was growing up. But what was it about ourselves that we failed to recognize in the first place? And how did we stay in that false narrative that everything Western was better than everything we could ever create? And this was back home, I mean, on Nigerian soil. You know, I, I know a lot of people, they tend to talk about colonization as, this, as something that happened like really far back. And it has no effect on our society. But I think that it has had lasting effects on our society till date. And it has been instrumental in how we see ourselves and how sometimes we even portray ourselves, you know. So in my third year, I remember... I wanted to really do a final project that really reflected where I was coming from and was really reflecting my identity as a Nigerian, as a Yoruba Nigerian, more specifically. And so um, I started researching more about my culture and more about Nigeria. And I'd heard about the Benin plaques, but I'd never actually researched it for myself. So I started researching the Benin plaques. And just to give you a little bit of context, they are basically bronze plaques that date back to the 16th, around the 16th and 17th century. Um, And they were plaques made by artisans in the Benin Kingdom in Nigeria, not Bene, the country. I mean, the Benin Kingdom in Nigeria. And 
And these plaques had um, different things cast into them. So, for instance, things that were going on in the society, in the palace, the rituals that would often happen. The artisans, these people doing these artworks, they would go and cast it into bronze plaques. And they would put it on palace walls. And I got really intrigued by that because that seemed like this amazing idea that I felt far removed from. But anyway, um, I found out that some of them were in the British Museum. But they're spread out in some museums in France, Germany, and some in the UK. So the British Museum had some of them. And I remember finding out. So I made it, I made a promise to myself that I was going to find these plaques and see them with my own eyes. Um, so I remember I took a coach to London. And my sister and I were like, one of the first people in that building. We went so early. We're like, we have to be the first people to see that. And I remember walking downstairs to the African exhibit and going round, first of all, and just seeing all these different things. I mean, very different. Water pots, door panels, um, shields and spares, cloth, just different things. Masks that were looted from Nigeria and other African countries. And I just felt this sense of ownership, like, this is ours anyway. It's not supposed to be here. I remember walking so confidently, knowing that this was not his right environment. And the right environment for all these things were in their respective homes in the different African countries. And so I went to the far right and walked into that room. And I saw the meaning plaques just in the center as I entered that room. And they were just stood on different poles by each other. And I walked so close to it, I remember, as close as I could get, because it's a museum, remember, and you can't really touch stuff. But I walked as close as I could get to the plaques. And I was just staring at them, each of them, the intricacy that these plaques have. Like, I was amazed, not because I believed that my people couldn't do that. No, 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 I believed they, that was theirs and they could do that. But it seemed like I'd been so far removed from it. And I just laid my eyes on them and I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe, like, this is where I come from. I'm a product of this. You know, when you begin to feel that sense of pride. And I left that place promising myself to explore my roots more. I promised myself that I was really going to rebel against this colonial thinking. I was really going to rebel against what it means to be a fashion design student in the 21st century. Because there's a norm that they expect from you. But I was going to do the exact opposite. Because I found value in my my identity. And the things that, I guess, stem from that. You know, the creativity that stems from that. And so I left the museum. And I remember I did this whole project about slavery. And I really rewrote into the, that narrative about this slave who becomes a king just because of what I saw and it was majestic and it was beautiful and I don't just say that because I designed it I, I felt that on a different level but I can tell you that creating that project wasn't easy the comments I heard that often kept my Yoruba cultural heritage in this box labeled archaic not modern old not up-to-date ancient you know and I remember oftentimes I would just say to myself like what are these people saying? What are they thinking? You know, those labels are very colonial. And they're basically saying that 
this is the other. This is invalid because it's not fitting with the Western culture, with what it means to have designed a collection or a group of products in the 21st century for the fashion industry. You know, it wasn't fitting with the norm, basically. And for those of you that are wondering what I mean when I say the other, I'm referring to this view that people often have. Mostly it comes from, I guess, white people, tends to come from white people, that they see things that are not fitting with white culture, that are not necessarily white culture. They see non-Western cultures, basically, and look at it as less than or something that is not as credible, should not be as credited as valuable work because it is not Western, if that makes sense to you. But basically, um, this is what some white people think. And when I was designing this project at this time, that was what I was getting from most white people around me, which is very, like, weird. But they it was just really clear in their actions that this didn't fit in with what it means to be a 21st century fashion designer. And that reflected so much in how they um, treated my work, how some people graded my work, and how some people gave me feedback during tutorials. And this is why it can be hard for foreigners, especially in Western countries, for international students, for refugees, for immigrants. You know, this is why it can be hard because in a sense, you have to adapt to the new place that you are in. You know, you want to make it feel like home. So you start to code switch. You know, I talked earlier about rejection of self, the rejection of self I experienced as a Nigerian in Nigeria. Now I'm speaking to a different context. Rejection of self as a Nigerian in the diaspora. I've lived in the UK and in Canada. And while they are both massively different, it is the same formula. In order to adapt, you change parts of yourself to fit in. And no, that is not always a bad thing. For example, you can change your clothes so you adapt to um, the winter season if you're from a country that is quite tropical or hot. <laughs> um, or the food taste. You change what you eat because, because not everything you ate at home will be in your new place of residence. But then it, be, it, get, it starts getting deeper. You change your language to adapt. Even if you're an English speaker, sometimes um, you change phrases. If it was good morning, ma, in Nigeria, it is hello, Beth, or hiya in the UK. And it is hey or morning in Canada, you know. Another example is calling an older person by their name. Whereas in your home country, that is disrespect. And of course, these things are not necessarily bad, you know. But it becomes harmful when you accept everything with open arms and let go of who you are and where you're from. You start defining yourself by what you are in that environment and you sit in it and once it lets you down, you feel lost. And don't get me wrong, I don't necessarily think that changing your language or your use of words so you can be better understood or you can thrive in that environment that you are in is bad. I don't think it is. In fact, I think it's inevitable. But what happens when Shola lets go of all her Nigerian self to fit in and get comfortable in this new version of herself that she can't recognize. What happens then? Now I know why those older women back home, we say mamas, <laughs> will 
they always reminded us to not forget home because they understood. They knew that this would be a thing. I know why they said it now, why they would always say that. And I'm saying this from personal experience. Maybe a few people can relate. But I got to this point where I actually started believing that it was wrong to be my normal self. And I want you to think about some of your realest G's right now. Like people that know the ins and outs of you. For me, that's my family. My parents, my sisters, my cousins, my family. They've seen sides of me that a lot of people I know right now haven't seen and probably will never see. But there's nothing wrong with being that shala they know. In fact, I would say that, you know, that is my authentic self. That is really who I am. But I let her go because I felt that it was wrong to embrace her fully. And I didn't even realize this until this summer when a lot of the protests um, broke out and erupted and I experienced my current environment in many ways letting me down. I got so frustrated because I had adapted. I code switched. And although there's the facade that lies within it, um, this one that almost promises you that you'll be more accepted, you'll be more valued, you'll be more cared for if you adjust accordingly. But they're all lies, people. All of them are lies. If you are in a foreign country or an immigrant, especially in the West, let me tell you, do not, I repeat, do not code switch to the extent that you lose all of yourself and begin to reject your true self and begin to reject who you are, where you're from. Black girl, it's okay to do your elaborate hairstyles, you know. My Nigerian, Ghanaian, Zambian, Zimbabwean brothers and sisters, it's okay to wear your cultural wear, to dance, to be loud when you're excited. It's okay to be who you were created to be. Obviously, that's not all to you, but it's okay if those things come naturally to you, you know. It's okay to do them even when you're outside of your home country. I believe I was created Nigerian for a reason. So to reject my nationality or my heritage and the things that make me Nigerian will be to reject God's creativity and to reject his design and plan. That's what I believe. And I know it can be hard, but adaptability should not cost you your identity. You should never do that. One thing my current diasporic context lacks is black communal culture. And one thing it needs is in-depth and constant expression of black culture to keep the black community here vibrant and alive. You know? So express yourself. Wear your ankara, wear your kinte, wear your beads. This will not solve... It doesn't necessarily solve racism, systemic oppression, or colonial thinking. But community has to start somewhere, right? And... By doing all this, by expressing yourself, it contributes to decolonization of the Western environment. It, it contributes to um, decolonizing thought and ways of thinking, ways of being, ways of knowing. Just because you're of a different ethnicity does not mean that you are bad. And it doesn't mean you cannot express yourself. And I know this sounds basic and I'm getting vulnerable, but I genuinely think some, like people need to hear this because... I think it's so easy to slip into that mindset. Just because you aren't white doesn't mean that you are archaic, old, backward thinking. It doesn't mean that you should be the center of racist jokes. It doesn't mean your way of living in your home country 
was necessarily bad because Westerners live differently. It doesn't mean the way you cook, the way you dress, the things you eat, the slangs you use, the way you think, all those things. It doesn't mean that they are not good. There are many ways of doing things and you just have to embrace your own ways too, you know. That is what diversity is. That is what multiculturalism is. When you embrace the nuances that make people different, you embrace it in that environment, it starts to become a multicultural environment. Not that you do it one, you do things one way and then you have people from different places doing the same thing that you do one way and you're only stuck to doing that thing that way. That's not what makes a place diverse. That's not what makes environments diverse. I mean, that's not what makes an environment multicultural. What makes it multicultural is the fact that different nuances and different ways of being are being embraced and put into practice constantly by the people who naturally would live that way in whatever environment that they're in. When they're coexisting with other, I guess, cultural groups, other ethnic groups, other cultural, other identities, let me not say cultural identities, other ethnic identities that are doing same with their own ways of being and ways of knowing. That is multiculturalism. So, to end, ladies and gentlemen, do not sacrifice your identities on white altars. Do not shock cultures or switch codes to the extent that you let go of yourself, your God-given self. Okay. This is me signing out. <laughs> Clapped into the mic. Oh my gosh. Anyway, this is me signing out. Look out for more content. Odabo.